0: Hello and welcome to episode 185 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It's my privilege to be with you this evening. My name is Terence M. Stanton. We are recording on Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. Let us begin with day seven of the Novena Prayer in honor of Our Lady of Fatima, Oremos. In omni Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Most Holy Virgin, who deigned to come to Fatima to reveal to the three little shepherds the treasures of graces hidden in the recitation of the rosary, inspire our hearts with a sincere love of this devotion, so that by meditating on the mysteries of our redemption that are recalled in it, we may gather the fruits and obtain the conversion of sinners, the conversion of Russia, and this favor which I so earnestly seek. Blessed Mother, I pray for the immediate end to intrinsically evil methods of contraception, for the immediate end to pornography, and for the immediate end to abortion in the world. Which I ask of thee in this novena, for the greater glory of God, for thine own honor, and for the good of all people. Amen. Pater noster quies in sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua sicut in cello et in terra. Panam nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sigut et nos dimitibus debitoribus nostris, et nenos indugas in tentationem, sed libra nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et enor mortis nostrae. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in principio, et nunc, et semper, et in saecula saeculorum. Amen. Pater noster, quies in celis, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra. Panam nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitibus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libra nosa malo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia Plena, Dominus tecum, Benedicta tu in Mulieribus, et Benedictus Fructus Ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, Ora Pronobis Peccatoribus, Nunc et Inora Mortis Nostrae, Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto, sicut erat in Principio, et Nunc, et Semper, et in Secula Seculorum, Amen. Pater Noster, Quies in Celi, Sanctificator Nomen Tuum, Adveniat Regnum Tuum, Fiat Voluntas Tua, Sicut in cielo et in terra, panam nostrum quotidianum de nobis hodie, et dimite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitibus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libra nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et mortis nostrae. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto. Sicut erat in principio et nunc et semper et in secula seculorum. Amen. In nomina patris et filii et Spiritu Sancti. Amen. My friends, today we are going to take a look at an article from the stunning Archbishop Vigano at CatholicFamilyNews.com. It was. Released today, May 10th, 2022, and it is entitled Reform or Overture to Liturgical Revolution. Archbishop Viganò on the Holy Week Ceremonies. At the request of a priest who celebrates the traditional rites of Mass, Media Press asked Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò to comment on the alterations made to the rites of Holy Week during the final years of the pontificate of Pope Pius XII. His reply in French can be read here. There's a hyperlink. I do not know any French, so I will not be reading it there. And Catholic Family News is grateful to his grace for making available for publication an English translation. Overall, his grace's conclusion represent a balanced assessment of the changes promulgated by the last pope to reign before the convening of the Second Vatican Council. On one hand, his grace notes in the myriad changes a trial balloon with which the architects of the subsequent conciliar reform introduced an entire series of modifications. Excuse me. On the other hand, he notes that at the time of the Holy Week Amendments, the men's mind or mentality of the liturgical revolution was not yet in full display. He therefore notes a distinction between the alterations that occurred during and after 1962 compared to those that occurred prior to that time. The Holy Week changes do not touch the faith in the same way Or to the same extent as the Novus Ordo Mise, even if some are quite bizarre, or at certain points breathe the same air as the New Mass. His Grace clearly refuses to condemn Pope Pius XII for promulgating the changes, as well as Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre for accepting them as legitimate. He notes the anomaly of Pius XII promulgating some changes that, in subtle ways, are associated with some of the erroneous trends in modern liturgical scholarship that he himself condemned in Mediator Dei. Finally, Viganò makes clear that the question of the legitimacy of the Pius XII promulgated Holy Week is a much more complex liturgical and juridical question than the legitimacy of the Novus Ordo itself, which he unequivocally condemns, declares to be gravely lacking, and certainly favens heresium, favoring heresy. He once again joins himself to the denunciation of the new rite of Cardinals Ottaviani and Bacci, as well as that of Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. Yet, with respect to Holy Week, based upon the policy of Pope Benedict XVI and the former Ecclesia Dei Commission, he appears to favor a period of experimentation in which traditional priests could make use of the pre-Pius XII Holy Week rites. He looks forward to a day when the Church will have left this crisis behind her and can more objectively make a determination on the state of these changes." And now for the words of the good Archbishop himself. 6 May 2022. Dear Monsieur, and the name is left out, thank you for sending Abbey, name is redacted, question to me regarding the Reform of Holy Week. I agree with him that the Reform can effectively be considered a sort of trial balloon with which the architects of the subsequent conciliar Reform introduced an entire series of modifications which, in my opinion, were entirely questionable and arbitrary, to the Ordo, Ordo Majoris Havdomidae, as it existed up until that time. I would say, in fact, that this modification may have appeared almost harmless, albeit bizarre, because the mens that had given birth to them was not yet apparent, either with the reform of John the Twenty-Third or with the much more devastating reform inaugurated by the Constitution, Sacrosanctum Concilium, and then further exasperated by the concilium ad exequandum, but that which for a parish priest in 1956 may have seemed like a simplification dictated by the exigencies of adapting the complexity of the rites of Holy Week to the rhythms of modernity. And that probably was presented as such to Pius XII himself, keeping its explosive significance hidden. Acquires quite another sense from our perspective, since we see at work in it, first of all, the casual pruning mentality of the modernists and the students of the never-deprecated-enough Renouveau Liturgique. And in the second place, because we recognize in the decisions that were supposedly made to simplify the ceremonies, the same idea ideological imposition of the most daring innovations of the Novus Ordo. Finally, the personalities who stand out in that reform include the protagonists of the conciliar reform, promoted to higher positions precisely because of their notorious aversion to the solemnity of worship, it is difficult to think that what they started between 1951 and 1955 was not conceived as a first step towards the upheavals brought to completion less than 20 years later. Of course, the air one breathes in certain parts of the rite of Pius XII, I'm thinking of the Noster recited by the celebrant and the faithful, for example, is the same air that we find in the Novus Ordo. One perceives something, foreign and unnatural, which is typical of works that are not inspired by the Lord and that are obviously human, imbued with a rationalism that is nothing truly liturgical about it, but that reeks of Gnostic presumption that Pius XII rightly condemned in the immortal encyclical Mediator Dei. It is astonishing that these same errors that were providentially condemned in 1947 succeeded in re-emerging in the very reform that Pius XII himself promulgated Let us not forget, however, that the pontiff was at an advanced age and very physically and spiritually exhausted by the recent global conflict. Including Pius XII on the list of demolishers of the tradition would be as unjust as it would be ungenerous. Having said this, it remains to be assessed whether the same exceptions raised for the Novus Ordo Mise, promulgated by Paul VI by the apostolic constitution Missa Romanum of 3 April 1969, apply to the rite promulgated by Pius XII by the decree Maxima Redemptionis Nostri Mysteria of 16 November 1955 or better given that the motu proprio Sumorum Pontificum excuse me or better given that the motu proprio Sumorum Pontificum recognizes the right of Catholics to avail themselves of the preceding rite because of its ritual doctrinal and spiritual specificity and given that the motu proprio does not enter into the merit of an evaluation of the orthodoxy of the Novus Ordo, but limits itself to a question of liturgical taste, so to speak. May we extend this principle to the rites preceding John XXIII's motu proprio rubicarum instructum and Pius XII's decree maxima redemptionis nostrate mysteria, expressing our preference for the so-called rite of St. Pius X? This is actually a provocation. First of all, because I do not agree with the coexistence of two forms of the same right in the Church of the Roman rite. Secondly, because I consider the reform rite to be gravely lacking, and certainly favens herism. Joining myself to the denunciation of Cardinals Ottaviani and Bacchi, as well as that of Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, and I am convinced that the Novus Ordo should simply be abolished and prohibited, and the traditional right should be declared the only Roman right in force. Amen to that. Archbishop Vigano, as a very holy woman, once said to me, Latin Mass is the only Mass. You can't have two Roman rites. It's not possible. Novus Ordo needs to be abolished. And once again, as I've mentioned several times on Our Lady's podcast, that is not to say that anyone who goes to the Novus Ordo is a bad person. I grew up my entire life going to the Novus Ordo. I thought the traditional Latin Mass was just something that had been relegated to the dustbin of history, and oh, okay, the popes have decided we're doing something else now, so we have to do what the Pope says. I think that's what a lot of Catholics believe that they're doing in good conscience. We didn't know any better. The traditional Latin Mass was something that was around for a long time, and I know my father speaks fondly of um serving as as an altar boy when when he was young, but it was something that the the church did to get with the time so to speak and put it in the vernacular so people could understand it and there's kind of this misconception that people uh might have that well you folks just kind of have a fetish for Latin well no, that's not the case. The actual prayers um If you look at someone like the late Michael Davies, there have been many others, uh, Dr. Peter Kwasinevsky and and many uh, brilliant scholars and theologians and just people who care about Holy Mother Church. Dr. Taylor Marshall, you look at the prayers side by side, and it's something like a a number in the teens, like 13% of the prayers were carried over from the traditional Latin Mass to the Novus Ordo. 13%. That's something completely and utterly different. And when people wonder why you know their kids shift around at mass and they're as they get to be teenagers, they claim to be bored. Well, it's no surprise. The Novus Ordo is boring. I'm not afraid to say that it is boring. Come to the traditional Latin mass. You won't see bored people there. I guarantee you. You will see people who are filled with joy, Dr. Scott Hahn and um, the gentleman who's affiliated with the, uh, the Mass of Ages, Cameron O'Hearn, I believe his name is, That which is fantastic. I, I can't wait to see part two. Some people are already checking it out in movies. Um, it isn't near me, but I think May 26th, part two of the Mass of the Ages is coming out. I can't wait to see it. Highly recommend it. Go see it. But Dr. Hahn, as well as uh, Cameron Talk about being a glad trad as opposed to a rad trad or a mad trad or something like that. I'm filled with joy and gratitude to our Lord Jesus Christ that He's brought me to the traditional Latin Mass. The way my parents grew up worshiping, my grandparents, my great grandparents, and on and on and on back for 1500 years or more. It's so beautiful. It's so reverent, but more than anything else, the sense of the sacred that I have never experienced at the Novus Ordo is contained in the traditional Latin Mass. So I ask you, if you haven't been to a traditional Latin Mass, to please take the eight-week challenge. According to Father Chad Ripperger, he he tells people, Check out the traditional Latin mass for eight weeks, and if you you don't like it, then no, that's fine. But being the psychologist that he is, uh, there's a, a method to his madness because apparently eight weeks is the duration of time that it takes someone to break a habit. so he's uh, wants you to get into the the good habits, so to speak, of attending the traditional Latin mass. I guarantee you you will not regret it. I had mentioned earlier um, on a previous show. That I attended a a May crowning, um, followed by the traditional Latin Mass this past Sunday. I I tell you, I was choked up. It was absolutely gorgeous. So please, come to the traditional Latin Mass. You won't find uh, a bunch of grumpy people there. You'll find a lot of very joyful people, and a lot of young people, too. I'm always amazed at the number of uh, young families you know, people in their, their 20s and 30s with uh, many kids filling up an entire pew. Let us continue then with what Archbishop Viganò had to say. Now, given the vacatio legus in which we find ourselves, I believe that if the fraternity of St. Pius X considers it legitimate to refer to the Missal of John the Twenty Third because it recognizes the same malicious mind in all of the subsequent reforms that led to the missal of Paul VI, then for the same reason, mainly of a prudential nature, it could apply the same principle to the reform of Holy Week, even if in itself, because in the missal of John XXIII, there's nothing heterodox or even remotely inclined towards heresy. This, I believe, was the reason that Archbishop Lefebvre chose precisely the rite of 1962, on the other hand, since he had a juridical mind thanks to his solid formation, he understood well that it would not be possible to apply a sort of free examination to the liturgy because this would authorize anyone to adopt any right. At the same time, however, the subversive nature of the conciliar reform did not escape him, just as it does not escape us today. Intentionally open to exceptions, ad experimentum, to an infinite number of ad libitum under the pretext of recovering a supposed original purity after centuries of ritual sedimentation. Precisely for this reason, Archbishop Lefebvre decided to return to the less compromised rite, the rite of 1962, perhaps without grasping some of the controversial aspects of the reforms made by Pacelli and Roncalli that only an expert liturgist would have grasped, especially during the troubled years of the 1970s. Let us not forget, furthermore, that the Renovue Liturgique began in France well before it developed in Italy and that many innovations that later became the norm of the universal church were experimented as early as the 1920s in French dioceses, beginning with the use of Gothic vestments and the altar versus populum, always in the name of that archaeologism that attempted to cancel an entire millennium of the life of the church with the stroke of a pen. I imagine that in the eyes of an Italian prelate, celebrating corum populo with a medieval chasuble appeared to be an extravagance, while for a French archbishop, it was by then an established and in some ways even an encouraged practice. We must also understand, and in this regard I believe that I have expressed myself extensively, that the mens of the reform that began at the local level well before Pius XII and then progressively spread throughout the Catholic world was completely anti-juridical. Its architects availed themselves of the authority of the legislature, capital L, in order to impose with the force of law a right that was supposed to be everything other than a slavish application of the liturgical text. The Missal was no longer supposed to contain the text that the celebrant was meant to faithfully recite, but was looked at rather as a sort of canvas that authorized the worst eccentricities and insinuated in the ecclesial body an inexorable loss of the sense of the sacred. This is not yet visible in the Ordo Hebdomade Sancta Instaratus or in the Missal of John the 13th. Excuse me, I think they mean uh, the 23rd, that's a typo. But the principle of the perpetual changeability of the rite and its casual updating, along with the erroneous persuasion that it has become corrupted with the passage of centuries and that as such, it needs to be pruned by superfetations, when instead it is actually the result of a harmonious development given by circumstances, time, and places, was already in place. And certainly, the modification of the Roman canon by Roncalli, with the insertion of the name of St. Joseph, went in the same direction, touching even the most ancient and sacred prayer of the Holy Sacrifice. I conclude with an observation. Many communities that make use of the motu proprio sumorum pontificum celebrate the rites of Holy Week following the Missal prior to the reform of Pius XII. The Ecclesia Dei Commission itself authorized this dispensation, considering the reasons given by those who asked for it to be legitimate. Therefore, I do not see why the fraternity, which has been at the forefront of the guarding of the traditional mass in much more difficult times, cannot do the same. Certainly, when the Church refines herself, all of this will have to be brought back into the riverbed of the law, a law that we may hope will wisely take into account the criticisms that have been raised. I hope that these considerations I have offered may be helpful in some measure to Reverend Abbey, name redacted. I am grateful for the occasion to impart my paternal blessing to you all, dear friends. Carlo Maria Vigano, Archbishop. Oremos. In nomina Patris et fili et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Prayer for the hastening of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. O Immaculate Heart of Mary, Holy Mother of God and our Tender Mother, look upon the distress in which the whole of mankind is living due to the spread of materialism, godlessness, and the persecution of the Catholic faith. In our own day, the mystical body of Christ is bleeding from so many wounds caused within the Church by the unpunished spread of heresies, the justification of sins against the Sixth Commandment, the seeking of the kingdom of earth rather than that of heaven, the horrendous sacrileges against the Most Holy Eucharist, especially through the practice of communion in the hand, and the Protestant shaping of the celebration of the Holy Mass. Amidst these trials appeared the light of the consecration of Russia to thine Immaculate Heart by the Pope, in union with the world's bishops. In Fatima, thou didst request the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays of the month. Implore thy divine Son to grant a special grace to the Pope, that he might approve the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. May Almighty God hasten the time when Russia will convert to Catholic unity, mankind will be given a time of peace, And the church will be granted an authentic renewal in the purity of the Catholic faith, the sacredness of divine worship, and the holiness of Christian life. O Mediatrix of all graces, O Queen of the Most Holy Rosary and Our Sweet Mother, turn thine eyes of mercy towards us and graciously hear this, our trusting prayer. Amen. That, of course, is by Bishop Schneider. And now we will honor St. Joseph with the Prayer to St. Joseph for Purity by Father Donald Calloway. St. Joseph, strong spiritual father, Defend me against sins of the flesh. Jesus said, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Saint Joseph, terror of demons, protect me from lust, immoral desires in my heart, and impure actions in my body. Help me not to offend God. Here and now, I chain myself to you and sacrifice everything for the good, the true, and the beautiful. I love you, Saint Joseph, and I thank you for being my spiritual father. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pronobis nobis, Sanctiosef, terra or in nomine Patris et fili et spiritus sancti amen. Thank you very kindly, my friends, for listening to this episode of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast in your charity. I would ask if you would please share this podcast with everyone you know and please pray for the eternal salvation of Pope Francis. Goodbye and God love you.